Welcome to Necessary Illusions. I am your host, MC Squared. On today's podcast, I interview Josh of the Pino Podcast, who is a very thoughtful and interesting member of society with a very intriguing belief system. And while he doesn't like to use labels or define himself, I think he can easily be described as a podcaster, as a father, as a humble human being, and as a citizen of Earth. So, without further ado, this is Necessary Illusions, and I am your host, MC Squared. Josh here of the Pino Podcast. Welcome, sir. Thanks for having me. Congrats on getting this going. <laughs> no problem. So let's get right into it. Uh, you always open your podcast with "I'm Josh and I know nothing." So since the last time we've spoken, it's been a couple years now. What have you learned? Uh, lots of things. <laughs> mostly about myself really and uh yeah and and you know i've had a lot of fun uh having interesting conversations with different people that i never anticipated having conversations with uh you've had a lot of big guests some interesting guests um Anything you'd like to talk about maybe the last season or two, anything that was noteworthy or some guests that you had on and some conversations that you got into that uh, maybe some of the listeners out there might need to check out? Uh, my last two were with Glenn Greenwald and we talked about veganism and Jimmy Dore and we talked about uh, COVID and the Jungian journey, I guess. The, uh, what's the second part? Uh, Carl Jung. Ah, uh, yes, yes. And uh, the journey we go through, um, the alchemical journey. But uh, yeah, and then before that, I had Jackie, who's an activist, who uh, that was just like a really emotional podcast. Um, yeah, I, I I've had those those guys I greatly respect and have watched for uh, a long time. So it was really cool to to get to talk with them. I've been watching you from a distance, man. You're having a nice run on the Pino podcast, so I wish you continued success. What's what's on uh, what's next for the Pino podcast? Where do you want to take it? Where do you want to go with it? I'm letting that unfold as it does. I have. Uh, a couple scheduled right now but it's like i don't always know who i want to talk to or when and the universe kind of unfolds and presents and uh you 
ask and most people are willing to uh, have a conversation. You said you've learned a lot about yourself. What's some things maybe uh, you've learned about yourself in the last couple of years? Uh, that everything you know to be true about aligning yourself with the highest good and doing basically making yourself a tool of service and then giving yourself grace and being humble in the journey. You can just observe and, and watch and uh, beautiful things will unfold so long as you do so. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I, I became a father uh, about a year ago too. And so that whole uh, journey uh, is a really cool one. What has fatherhood taught you and what are you learning through fatherhood and maybe, uh, you know, what's some things that you were expecting and maybe some things that you didn't expect that you might've learned now as a new, new dad. Is it everything you expected or is there a lot of, uh, a lot of things that, uh, you weren't anticipating? I've got no expectations. Really? Uh, well, when you live with expectations, you might be attached to the result. Uh, and so I'm just trying to do the best I can every day here and now. Uh, and uh, then I trust that things are going to work out for the best. Uh, and some days are harder uh, than others, uh, but that then if it's hard, then it provides you an opportunity to recognize why you feel that's hard and then change yourself going forward. Yeah, I think life is hard. I mean, I think that there's a lot of things, you know, we have to overcome and uh, yeah, it's quite an interesting journey. What this is kind of what this is kind of interesting me. And as a, um, as a philosopher, I think some of the deepest questions are some of the most simple. So like, what do you think? Talked a little bit about the highest good. So I guess, what does that mean to you? I guess first, what's what's the highest good, and are you a, are are you a uh, religious person, or how would you describe you know your spirituality and that sort of aspect of your life? Uh, love is the highest good. Uh, such that it has no opposite. Um, but I don't, uh, I think most of the organized religions all point to the same uh, universal truths uh, that were witnessed by uh, or experienced. There's no real words to define, but by uh, experienced by human beings such that is. Uh, possible within us uh and then everything else is just a screwed up translation of what can't be communicated in language oh wow that, that's all there's a lot there to unpack i mean i definitely universal truth i mean i think that that is totally what i want to you know gain in this life i want to i want to discover truth i think that's part of you know the the goal of starting this podcast, you know, just so many interesting people out there and ideas. So I'm just trying to learn. And I think I'm on a, a similar path to you. I mean, that's definitely 
my focus is, you know, finding truth, you know, and I'm part of the, you know, the namesake of necessary illusions is kind of separating truth from, you know, untruth or the misinformation, propaganda and lies presented to us every single day. And I think that's really difficult. So uh, I would like to maybe transition, um, you know, what is what is truth? What is knowledge? Are these things universal? Are these things that we might actually be able to define or are these ideas incoherent? You know, what is truth? What is knowledge to you? Uh, it's your ego that wants to define it. Um, there's a page in the book, Be Here Now by Ram Dass, and it says consciousness equals energy equals love equals awareness equals light equals wisdom equals beauty equals truth equals purity. It's all the same trip. It's all the same. Any trip you want to take leads to the same place. And uh, so I can't define that for you. And it can't be defined. Uh, there's a Sanskrit term, uh, neti neti, which means not this, not this. Uh, essentially, the, the minute you try to define it, you've lost it. Um, you can't. You either are it or not. You're always it, but you don't recognize yourself. You have to go through your own journey. You have to figure it out for yourself. And your path can't be the same as any other's path. Uh, it's your own path. And that's how you find truth. You investigate it for yourself. That's. I think that's William James and the pragmatists. I was actually reading up a little bit about this not too long ago. I'm going to paraphrase one of the pragmatists here, but um, I think that that is pretty much their exact because I was I was I'm big into Western philosophy. I'm big and big into these kind of existential, you know, big philosophical questions that um, at least, you know, my started I started with, you know, studying physical uh, philosophy with the ancient Greeks. And then you realize that there was quite a, uh, a rich history before that. And, you know, that's just Western philosophy. There's there's a there's deep history and deep philosophical writings, you know, all over the world. You know, so I think as I got deeper and deeper into the study of philosophy, I, I realized that most of the stuff that we're taught, you know, in America and just westernized educations, um, I just barely even scratches the surface. So it sounds to me like your philosophical views of the world and reality are a lot of, he have a, has a lot of Eastern philosophical influence. Uh, would you say that was, is that, uh, is accurate for you? I found my own truth on my own path, find my own as if there's my own, as if I exist. My experience led me to deeper awareness of myself. And then I went to go investigate what other people had said about uh, the experience, because this experience uh is uh, talked about in all in all those places but it's not that like because you say eastern but there's christian yosticism and you know saint thomas aquinas and uh it's not 
and I guess Thomas Merton was like a, a Buddhist, uh, but from Christianity, it, you know, there's, but it, these, again, these are all like rules that have been set up by man based on an experience that someone tried to communicate, but like even Buddha didn't want a religion formatted after him because you can't follow somebody else's path. There, there are like, you know inherently that like you should not commit violence towards another and unconsciously if violence was committed towards you uh or any sort of grievance unless you've dealt with that personally you could live it out uh towards another and so it's like the self-work that's really the most important is recognizing the traumas uh within ourselves and and then as we get into our own alignment then we can you know uh after you fill your own cup then you can pour into another but uh i don't know where this question started or where i'm going with this. <laughs> uh, this is no this is fantastic man you're, you're an awesome first guest so i really appreciate this you're a very interesting you have a very interesting perspective of reality and i'd just like to hear you talk and like to hear you try to make sense and i think you know part of uh i think part of just how our understanding of the universe is part of there's that consciousness um, with reality, you know, things that we're con consciously aware of, you know, and like we're consciously having a conversation right now, we're in the moment, we're in the present, all that kind of stuff. But I think our belief systems are very subconscious. And that's part of Carl Jung. And what he, he was, uh, you know, kind of talking about I read or I have one a, couple, a few of his books, but uh, I need to kind of get into it. But I, I find the subconscious problem very, very, very interesting. I think there's a lot of um, research and writing and all kinds of, you know, pop science stuff on what is consciousness. But I find the subconscious fascinating, things that, you know, we aren't even aware of. And I think that the subconscious is kind of where we build our understanding of reality. And I think part of listening to you talk, I think is part of you, you know, thinking through some thoughts that you've had maybe about the world and about reality and you, and you're articulating them and bringing them to consciousness. Like, you know what you think and you know what you think, um, you know, or, or the thoughts and ideas that you've had before. But part, part of, you know, what I wanted to do on this podcast, I have a lot of thoughts and ideas too. I want to articulate them, get them out there. And, you know, part of it is helping me kind of put words and, and, um, you know, get my, get my ideas out there and help them make sense. So what's, what's your thoughts of the conscious and the subconscious? I mean, do you look at the mental, you know, the mind, do you, do you think that that's helpful defining the conscious and the subconscious? Uh, because I think, I think the subconscious to me is, is fascinating. And that's, um, I think that's part of what I want to get into with my philosophical studies. Well, I have a one-year-old daughter and she's not going to remember consciously much of what happens in the first three years of her life, much like you and most people listening likely can't think about what their life was like in the first three years or that nine plus months of pregnancy. Um, but most people would agree that that uh, time period, both pregnancy and up to three years, even though you won't remember it, really sets the foundation for the psyche for the rest of uh, one's life. It really sets it up. And so um, whatever 
whatever we're passing on right now, whatever she's experiencing uh, is going to set the foundation, the framework for who she uh, becomes as an ego consciousness and the way she interacts with the world. Most people wouldn't say that the first three years of life, like you don't have to worry about them. I just don't think most people, when they go into the future, uh, like now, now as a man in my late thirties, it's like, okay, now go back and examine what, uh, what's underneath the surface that may be contributing to the decisions, uh, that I'm making in the world, my discipline or lack thereof, the ideas that I, I have, like, are they mine? Who is me? Uh, who am I? And, and, you know, most of the time we just ignore the subconscious and unconscious because we all are then connected to the collective unconscious. So we all have the ability to tap into. The- here's what, here's where I'll challenge Major you on knowledge. that. <laughs> I'd like to challenge you on that. Tap Go into, I, I think, I think that there's part of the subconscious and I think that's part of what you were, as, as you articulate and explain and talk and as you try to put words to your ideas, I think that obviously that stuff that you're able to articulate and talk about and put words to, that's something you're able to access, right? But I think there's part of the subconscious, part of the human condition, part of the mind that we'll never be able to access. And I find it fascinating. And I think that, um, you know, it's fun to introspect, but I think that there's thoughts about the world and reality and about yourself that you've had that you might never be able to access or articulate. Do you agree with that? Or do you think you can basically anything you've ever thought you could always access it? And, you know, I, I think that, I guess, basically, I think that there are some thoughts that we have that we're aware of and other thoughts that we don't, and a lot of the thoughts that we don't, maybe we can't even put words to them, you know, like meanings and um, just different, uh, just just different brain functions that maybe we'll never fully be able to access or understand. What do you think about all that? I think that's what you've experienced. Uh, and I think just because you or I uh, have an experience does not mean that that is the same for everyone. So what you're articulating is that all humans uh, fall into the same, uh, I guess, lack of being able to tap into uh, or receive um, deeper information uh, and I would never say that uh, I, we all have access, uh, which. Uh, have you ever be... had like a thought, though, like a thought that it was maybe perfectly incoherent if you were to explain it to someone else, a thought, maybe a feeling. But uh, you knew what you were thinking or, you know, you knew what you were, you know, that sort of thing. I, I don't know if I can explain it because, again, I don't. I don't think I can fully access uh, access my subconscious, but you know. That, Are you your thoughts? <laughs> I I am sitting here. Uh, I think I'm a conscious being. Um, I don't think that there's any uh, proof that I'm not a brain in a vat. I don't think that there's any scientific proof. There's it's not. 
um, you know, absolute. It's not absolutely certain that I exist, you know, uh, as the person I, you know, see myself as. Um, uh, I, I think that, uh, I think the whole mind body problem from Descartes, um, that he created as the father of modern Western philosophy or whatever namesake you want to give him, uh, he, no one has ever been able to fully understand how does mind and body interact. And that's, that's a great segue because that's where he, um, that's where he came up with the pineal gland. The pineal gland sits in the center of the brain. There's only one, not two. And Descartes, the famous philosopher, thought that that's exactly where mind and body, if it came together as one, that's where it would be. So what's, <laughs> yeah, what, what's your thoughts on the Western philosophical tradition, the very rich history of the mind-body problem? And is this what influenced you to call your podcast the pineal podcast or was there a different reason? Came to me on an acid trip, brother. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. I'm a little bit more straight edge, man. But um, no, I think that's that's pretty cool. So, what do you think? I mean, I'm I, I try to let the let the the reading, you know, kind of take me there. Uh, I, I stopped smoking weed a couple years ago, and uh, you know, not that not not out of uh, not out of um, it's not because I didn't want to keep smoking weed, but I'm no longer no longer uh, a stoner like I once was. But uh, what do you think the drugs can provide you in your philosophical understanding of the universe? Do you think that they provide you some sort of edge that I don't have? What do you, what 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 makes you um, what makes you you know <laughs> what makes you such an enthusiast of you know psych- psychedelic trips and whatnot? Well, there's no edge. I'm no, I am you. Uh, there's no difference. That's the ego imposed view. Uh, and Does it help you personally better understand reality or is the drugs just your reality? I only did it like once or twice a year for a long period of time. I haven't done it in a bit, um, but it provided me... Um, a different perspective uh on everything you talk uh, a lot about experience a lot yeah. about experience what about innate ideas what about the programming that we were born with a lot of language i've read some stuff on language a lot of language formation starts during pregnancy before birth um, children are picking up language. You know, they're listening to their mother, father, whatever environment they're in. So that language acquisition is actually pre, you know, pre-birth. Um, so what about innate ideas? What about the circuitry? What about you know? There's the mind, of course, and the body. But what about the mind and the programming and the innate ideas and the thinking structures that we're born with? And you know, I think experience is certainly important. But I think that's only part of the equation. Would you agree on that? I think Da Vinci said wisdom is the daughter of experience. Uh, I think everything that doesn't surprise me about language in pre-birth and pregnancy, everything matters, including if you have a good relationship with your partner before you 
bring a child into the world and and the energy you create because uh, whatever it's funny it works for the the microbiome as well as the metaphysical it's like you have the same microbiome as the people you live with and then like you're either going to deal with your own traumas uh and do your own self-work or you're going to pass them on generation generationally to your children or your people or society so it's it's like it works on all levels all the time uh how about like watching your child you know learn in real time and pick up the language skills and communicate and and like how do you think how do you think um that whole process works like picking out meaning because uh, you're, you're experiencing it firsthand right now i mean how yeah, do you think she she knows what her foot is and where her ears are um she you know i i've read that when she looks in the mirror she still doesn't identify that as herself which i think that's a really interesting point uh because the like we build up this idea of separation the whole world tells us we're this you're uh what are you going by on here are you anonymous or are you going by your name mc squared okay Um, mc yeah mc you're in the uh the mc suit uh (laughs) and you learn that this is you and you're this person that's staring at the camera right now and wearing the headphones um but what if you've been lied to your whole life uh and then half of your life is learning who you are and then the other half is unlearning who you are i know i'm lied to like every single day by the mainstream media and yeah you know the i mean the 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 institutions of learning in this country like for example i mean i think that education should be about um teaching wonderment you know i mean i I think this is fascinating i couldn't imagine all the challenges and just emotions and everything involved with being a father i think that that is um so cool so i'm so happy for you but um yeah i think that just you know how how we you know make sense uh of this universe and the the innate ideas i think that we're born with in our programming but I think every single day, and I think I, I didn't finish my thought earlier on um, uh, the pragmatists, but like truth, I think there's a universal truth. Like I think that universally uh, right now what's going on in Ukraine is a proxy war between two world superpowers that could easily end in nuclear annihilation, destroying the entire planet. I think that I've, um, maybe 100 nuclear warheads, if they were set off, would just completely – um, destroy any possibility for life. And I think that the media isn't presenting it that way. The media is presenting it and not just the media. I mean, corporations, academia, you know, studies of war and politics and all that stuff. They're presenting it as some sort of imperial conquest between, you know, Russia and America. And, you know, we have to, um, you know, we have to win it, you know, but I think winning any sort of, you know, war with Russia, would probably mean nuclear annihilation, you know, for for the world. But that's what I know about truth. At least that's the way I see it. I think that's universal. I don't think that there's any other way to explain that, you know, war in Ukraine. Um, and in terms of like the pragmatist view of truth, basically, you, you know, truth when you find it. You go down a long 
journey where you research something, you study something, you look at the ins, the outs, you talk to other people. Um, you know, and I think that in the end, and that's what the pragmatists say, you'll know when you, when you found the truth, someone can't show you the truth. Someone can't tell you the truth. But for example, let's go to Iraq, you know, that we weren't bringing, we weren't bringing democracy to Iraq. We went to Iraq to get their oil rights and to put in a puppet regime that was eventually not taken, you know, by the people. I think that's a universal truth. Uh, and I think that that, if you look into it and study, um, science or, or I'm not sorry, not science, but politics and international uh, affairs, I think that you can easily see that that's the truth. So, um, I think that universal truth exists and I think it's more than just, um, some sort of, uh, thing that you come and find and discover for yourself, you know, but if you said that, um, you know, Iraq war was not a war of imperialism and, uh, domination of oil rights and exploitation of the Iraqi people, I would say you're wrong. You know what I mean? I don't think what you just talked about is universal truth. I think that's just truth. I think uh, I think that's just, I guess, how would I explain what I'm trying to say? I think what you're talking about is waves, uh, as if they're separate from the ocean. Uh, Paymature Drone said, uh, you are the sky. Everything else is just weather. Um, so when I'm talking about some of the things that can be known uh, by experience, uh, it's certainly, uh, you should question authority and question everything in your own world as you move forward and make your own conscious decisions about the way you want to live in the world. And you can only do so by having accountability and responsibility and, and taking and claiming your power as a creative being. But, um, the, when, when we were having, a when we've been having this conversation, um, I think I'm talking about something beyond uh, just the um, uh, the fighting of the the people who need to heal themselves, uh, and we just need to be tools of service to help uh, do so. As we heal our own lives, we raise our own vibration, and it affects the vibration of the rest of the world. So. All right. A lot to unpack there. Um, I think I would agree with you. Universal truth is truth. Like I think if aliens were looking at uh, human affairs and international in our whatever we call international politics, I would say that, yeah, I think it's impossible to see anything different than a proxy war going on in the Ukraine, just like uh, the Iraq war was um, fought for oil rights. And just like um, the United States uh, was not bringing democracy to Vietnam or anything that was portrayed by the media. But in fact, um, America doesn't have democracy in America. <laughs> we can talk about democracy. But, and, uh, you know, the United States invaded Vietnam. And, uh, you know, and if we were if we were still um, maintaining the standard of the Nuremberg trials, all of our, you know, all of the president's. And this is something that Chomsky uh, has done a really good job of putting out there. Basically, every president since Truman would be hung 
um, if they were kept to the same standard of the Nuremberg courts um, and rulings after World War II um, and how we, you know, um, basically, uh, you know, how we penalize and criminalize what the Nazis did, which was horrible. You know, it was the worst atrocities carried out in human history. And I think if you study the 20th century, um, I try to be optimist, optimistic about human beings and earth and the planet and where, you know, what our species and where it's going and that sort of thing. But it's hard to be an optimist if you study um, the 20th century and this, the industrialized killing, the constant war, the trashing of the environment. Um, and I think all of that to me is a universal truth. I don't think that you can see it any other way. I mean, we're, we're, we're a very violent species um, and we're absolutely destroying the planet. Uh, and I think there's a possibility that, um, you know, I think there's a possibility um, that the world will live on and there'll be there'll be a world um, without uh, human beings in it um, post capitalism. But I'm not sure um, human beings will exist if we don't end, uh, <laughs> you know, our current the way we act, you know, and I think that uh, if we don't stop capitalism and actually um, democratize the country and the world, we're all doomed. So, uh, yeah, what do you what do you think about uh, what do you think about truth and you know some of the things that I'm trying to uh, compare truth to in terms of you know international politics and international affairs? I think it's interesting that you brought up Chomsky and Nuremberg in the same sentence because he also called for the unvaccinated to be separated from society for not taking a vaccine uh, and informed consent came about during the Nuremberg trials. Uh, basically, no longer experiment on Jews, no longer experiment on anybody. You have to be informed and consent to any medical uh Thing that is done to you. Uh, and Chomsky allowed fear uh, to guide his thinking, and he hasn't apologized for such. So I would say that that, uh, that leads to violence. We saw uh, violence against neighbors uh, over the past three years, uh, violence against people who simply chose uh, to make their own decision about their own body and disobey uh, what authority was telling them, which is an inherent inalienable right, your right to refuse, your right to say no, uh, and your, your liberty, your person, which was violated. So it's, uh, to me, I'm, I'm very disappointed. I think Chomsky has brought to light some things in, uh, about the ways that uh, propaganda and censorship work and how harmful that is. And then he totally missed the mark uh, in the biggest uh, calamity uh, that was perpetrated on the people. And so, yeah, when it came time, uh, to make the true decision, he allowed fear to govern his thinking. Yeah, so I'm not, we've had a little bit of discussion about Chomsky. I'm not going to defend him. I think some of the stuff um, perhaps was taking out of, taken out of context. I don't 
I don't. There's no. There's no way to take that out of context. But if he would just apologize, make amends, own up to you know the wrong decision, as opposed to not thinking he did anything wrong, I think that's the attachment uh, to the ego he's built up. But he'll have to reconcile that for himself. So yeah, I definitely oppose authoritarianism, uh, especially to medicine. My thought would be. Um, the, the the public trust in institutions is at all time low. I'm doing a solo podcast and research on the Supreme Court right now. Uh, last month, um, as you probably could imagine, uh, the Supreme Court confidence uh, uh, reached a brand new historic low in the United States. People do not trust the Supreme Court. Um, frequently, Congress has flirted with single digit approval ratings. It's in the I think it's in the high teens right now or low 20s. Last time I checked, I mean, that's terrible. 80% um, of the country um, doesn't trust it uh, as an institution, me included. Um, I think that it was created to stop democracy, the U.S. Senate. Uh, that was the whole idea of making two houses. If any pr- progressive legislation got passed, uh, the, the Senate would stop it in its tracks. And the idea of the Senate was always to um, basically be sympathetic to the wealth of the nation, the landed property owners, the the landed aristocracy. But I guess I'm getting off on a tangent here. Authoritarianism with the pandemic. Um, I totally, I totally think that um, one of the reasons that people were anti the vaccine, first off, was that um, and it was such a short period of time. Um, you know that the 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 the, the that they had to develop it, you know, and it was just kind of thrown at it, thrown at us, you know, take this. Um, there was a lot of manufacturing of consent, for example, like employers, um, government agencies, that sort of thing. They were basically saying, if you don't take this, you're going to lose your job. So there was definitely forms well, of that's, that's coercion. That's not coercion. manufacturing consent. That's ab- absolutely coercion. Sure. Yeah. I mean, manufacturing consent co- coercion, there was, there was an effort to get people to, um, buy in and take it at a time when you know people don't trust big pharma, people don't trust the government, people don't trust institutions, people don't trust the CDC. You know, like um, so well, people I mean, shouldn't trust any of these institutions or the CDC or big pharma. They should trust in themselves. But what what do you? I, so I definitely I I I believe that the the vaccine was. Uh, I mean, I took the vaccine. I believe that the pandemic was real. Uh, I believe that uh, taking um, the vaccine was in my best interest, um, although, you know, my confidence in these institutions are very low as well. Uh, I think for me, uh, I, I was one of the first people to take it. Uh, I, I have a trust, you know, in medicine. I do work in healthcare, but um, I was opposed to um, forcing it upon people that didn't want to take it. Um, you know, I will say that, uh, you know, the polio vaccine, um, you know, eradicated, you know, that that awful uh, plague from the planet. Uh, I'm not sure that it, it, we can, you know, compare the the um, COVID-19 pandemic with polio. Um, but, you know, I think there's a history of vaccines being effective. So I think part of that was the reason, um, you know, I, I opted for it. But again, I, I totally oppose um, forcing it upon other people, especially people that don't want to take it, and especially people that don't trust these public institutions or big pharma. Like my thought would be, if if people aren't taking the vaccine, then these institutions should do a lot better job of being transparent and presenting the research. And and I don't think that 
Uh, they did a very good job of that. And I even saw, um, you know, there's just so much misinformation and propaganda and I'm just trying to get to the truth. I haven't really studied the, the pandemic much. I think it was nature, you know, uh, I think nature is, uh, uh, equally probably better than mankind at, at coming up with diseases and pandemics and that sort of thing. So I don't think that there is any, um, you know, foul play involved. I think nature created it, but I don't know. Um, but you know, I saw a wall street journal story that there's a lot of people in high places that think it was, um, created in a lab and was man-made. So, uh, you know, were, were there ulterior motives? Was this man-made? I mean, I think our views of the pandemic and vaccines are, are very different. So what, what say you about all that stuff I just mentioned and what's your view of the pandemic in general? And, uh, and I know you're anti-authoritarianism uh, as it relates to man- mandating that people take the vaccine. I'm uh, anti-authoritarianism for mandating anything that violates the bodily autonomy of an individual by a state. Uh, that includes the way that we're using coercion uh, to bar kids from public school who don't take the, I believe, 73 vaccines that they're supposed to take now from age zero to 18 uh, in most states. But uh, that backlash is going to be interesting as the uh, amount of people homeschooling is going to continue increasing. Uh, and um, yeah, the I guess for you, someone who knows that we've been lied to on a massive scale when it comes to for instance, the military industrial complex and what we do to foreign countries and how we are the greatest purveyor of violence in the world. And human history. Uh, and human history. Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, if you started uh, additional research into um, the narratives uh, about everything you believe on uh, vaccines pharmaceutical drugs and human health, uh, you might also uh, question the foundation. Uh, And Hippocrates, so many years ago, literally, it's just if you gave every human uh, the right diet and the uh, right amount of exercise, uh, they'd be healthy. And and it's basically true that good sleep, community, grounding being in nature uh, sunlight it's it's very basic moving our bodies uh the lifestyles we've created uh don't do these things and then on top of it we live in a toxic world today most people don't care about the garbage that they're putting into their bodies from uh processed foods don't read the ingredients don't uh you know, because it's satiating, it's good for the the taste pleasure. But then there's the, you know, shit in your deodorant that you're putting on and, and uh, pesticides that are sprayed everywhere. Um, the unnatural light from the cities where you can't see the night sky anymore and it screws with your melatonin. Uh, you don't get as good of sleep. There, I, basic things uh that do result in states of health but pharmaceutical medicine is not a a treatment 
of whatever whatever reason you manifested dis-ease uh, comes from something deeper than that. And pharmaceutical medicines don't fix what caused it. Uh, that's something that we need to change within ourselves. Pharmaceutical medicine can only um, like work on the symptoms and also has, uh, they call them side effects, but you can call them unintended consequences. Uh, and we've been told a lot of lies by these very profiting industries to get us to be consumers of their um hills so yeah i mean a lot to unpack there man uh i'm so happy i brought you on as a guest because yeah you get you definitely have a much different perspective of reality although we all, all that stuff you said right there i think i totally agree with a lot of it uh a lot of it for sure i think there's a lot more to health um than just um you know the, the lack of disease that's for sure um I guess I want to go back to the pandemic a little bit. Um, so are, what, what's your thoughts on, I said that I, I don't think it was created in a lab, although, you know, you're going to hear all sorts of different stories. I don't know what's the truth there. Honestly, I haven't really researched it. Is this something that you think it was uh, created in a lab? Uh, what, what's your belief system on the pandemic? Where did it come from? Uh, and if it was created, um, was there an agenda? I, it, everything I've read, it seems to have been created from uh, human hubris. Uh, us thinking we're smarter than nature, which is what uh, their weather, weather modification and virology uh, testing to create new viruses and Gates owning the... Um, mosquitoes that they're bioengineering with different uh things to about that but if you google mosquitoes and bill gates you'll you'll see there's a lab i believe in columbia that has like 30 million mosquitoes that they're like oh if we just introduce this into the world we have all these solutions we think we're smarter than nature and nature will uh prove us wrong um and so everything i've seen indicates that uh, they were lying to cover up NIH funding of the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Uh, and even whether it's like, how insidious is it that they created a virus and then had everybody coerced into taking uh, their medicine? And was it orchestrated or not? I don't think it really matters. What matters is the way that we uh treated each other in society and how we responded and what we can learn from that uh which requires an honest inventory which most people don't want to have and want to move forward uh as if uh, the past three years uh, didn't happen uh, and then they also used it so then also to for something that you'll appreciate they used it to justify uh, additional surveillance and censorship Absolutely. on the people. Absolutely. Um, right. and, and so regardless of how it was created, they didn't let that opportunity to impose additional restrictions on the people and infringe on civil liberties go to waste. And so whether or not we agree with the fundamental issues with 
Western medicine, we can agree that the state uh, and private corporations working together, which is disgusting, uh, but inevitable, <laughs> used this as an opportunity to uh, further control the people. Well, right now, my friend, now you're in my wheelhouse. This is my favorite kind of stuff. Uh, I, I, I must say I haven't gone down these wormholes. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of Bill Gates. Uh, I'm not saying you're right or wrong. I just haven't went down these wormholes. Um, but uh, in terms of the state corporate nexus, uh, I think there is enormous problems with having a global pandemic and then having pharmacological or pharmaceutical companies, big pharma, being able to profit off of it, and um, you know, and the fact that there is some information out there that uh, perhaps this was man-made is really, really seedy and really, really uh, nefarious. And like I said, I'm, I think it was created by nature, but I wouldn't put it past some of these corporations. Um, but you know, in, in America. You would think um, a global pandemic would be a, a really great time to finally catch up with the rest of the world and actually have a working and functioning healthcare system. Uh, United States does not have a healthcare system; it has a national scandal. But we we didn't do that, and uh, just like we always do in the United States, um, we, it's basically a country. Uh, it's a business-run society, and just like any other, um, you know, opportunity to make some money. Um, Big Pharma took that opportunity to make billions and billions of dollars at the expense of the American people. And the fact that uh, taxpayers actually funded the research of the vaccine. And now that they want to uh, they want to sell they want to sell it back to us, even though our money, uh, the taxpayers is what they use to develop it. I think it's just absolutely disgusting. Um, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of democracy. I'm a fan of public institutions. Um, I think that uh, without um, public institutions, not saying we have anything great, you know, the system and the structure we have in place, um, you know, it needs a lot of work, needs a lot of improvements. Some of this stuff, um, you know, all these institutions that, uh, you know, are are un under the un umbrella of the United States government, I think could use um, a facelift. And <laughs> some of them might just need to be completely uh, broken down and, and gotten rid of, like, for example, um, the police state and the mass incarcerations. Uh, if we if we don't um, completely, in my opinion, um, defund, if we don't completely abolish the police, I think we need to defund it. I think we need to defund the military industrial complex. Um, I think we need to not militarize the police. But, um, you know, if we're, if we're going to have police at all, they, they might not be necessary. That's for democracy to decide. I definitely don't think that that'll never be done by electoralism. I, I, I you know, de democracy like like. To me, democracy, like, like, um, th these are just kind of ideals, you know, articulated first, at least from my studies by the ancient Greece. But really, to me, democracy just means, um, majority rules, you know, whatever so the society wants. But I don't think that we're you ever think the be... masses are always correct. Definitely not. Definitely not. But, um, I think that they are, uh, usually more trustworthy than elites, you know, the people that are running the government now. So, yeah, I, I am very um, sympathetic to democracy. I think that it's not perfect, but it's the best solution we have uh, in place. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that if we don't have some sort of government, if we don't have some sort of democracy in place now, in terms of arbitrary borders in the nation state, I think we should get rid of those completely. I don't I like a I like a. Um, 
my philosophical view is anarcho-syndicalism. So basically we have these federations, these small communities, you know, self-regulated, self-government, that uh, there's not some sort of central state, you know, and perhaps these federations could work together, perhaps a lot like the European Union, you know, where all these countries, I think the European Union and the United States are similar. You know, we have states in Europe, they have countries, but they kind of all work together. Uh, Is it perfect? You know, absolutely not. Um, But I think there's a lot of freedoms, especially in the Nordic countries, the welfare states, that sort of thing. One of the biggest problems with these systems of government, though, is the way we treat other countries. And we've already mentioned Vietnam, Iraq, and what we have, Iran, Syria, North Korea, Russia, and the proxy war. If we could just kind of make peace, (laughs) that would be, and and at least as as citizens, limit their ability to uh, use violence on the domestic population as well as internationally. But without these systems of power and these, you know, governments, and I think that they should be uh, democratically organized, Basically, the way the world is now, we would be completely dominated by private tyrannies, otherwise known as corporations. And these corporations are everywhere in society, from Twitter and social media and you know CNN and the news media, the New York Times. And a lot of these corporations are part of even bigger corporations, uh, kind of the marketing wing, um, big pharma, all these sorts of things. So, yeah, I like democratic organization. I think the people are definitely not always right, but part of democracy is having – um, informed people make rational choices. So um, that's what we need. And that's part of what I want to do here on this podcast. Let's educate, let's get some ideas out there. And, and um, but yeah, that's, that's what I think um, would be the best structure to keep um, some sort of um, organized society. Uh, and, and, and um, but I think that, you know, big pharma and these corporations, these these unaccountable private tyrannies, these hierarchies that are profit seeking, like corporations can never be um, humanitarian organizations, the, and, and especially not in the capitalist economic system. So I think that there's a major problem in having, um, you know. Uh, corporations, big pharma profit off of um, the pandemic. I think there's major problems with having defense contractors like Raytheon and Boeing. First off, the Pentagon and the military industrial complex. This is basically just a system that uh, is used to funnel taxpayer money to high-tech industry all under the guise of defense. The people aren't going to do it willingly. And you know what they use um, to get those people to uh, uh, submit to um, funding, you know, the, those high-tech organizations, it's fear. There always has to be an enemy. And whether that's the global pandemic, which I think was real, or whether that fear is created or manufactured in an enemy, for example, Iran or North Korea. These are tiny little countries, Afghanistan, Iraq. People were scared that they were going to invade us. People were scared that Russia's going to invade us. These countries are uh, in many instances, maybe not Russia with you know Alaska and stuff, but these countries are thousands of miles away, and many people couldn't even pick Ukraine off of map you know two years ago. But now all of a sudden, it's the most important thing ever. We have to beat Putin. We have to give billions of dollars, you know. And I think uh, we're we're basically a war-driven, profiteering society. Um, you know that I think the military-industrial complex is part of the capitalist beast. And I think if we um, ever want to get serious about environmentalism, like the United States military is the biggest polluter on earth. Well, yeah, that's uh, if the U.S. military were 
a country, it would be the 47th largest polluting country. And that's only based on the data that we have available. Um, MLK said, when machines and computers, profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, materialism, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. Um, What's that from? It was a 1967 speech he gave, I believe. Uh, and I pulled it that quote real quick because it seemed to apply to what you're talking about. Um, but it, so it's like systems and individual because it's never going to happen unless you work on yourself. The whole thing is a journey to the self. And as we heal our own traumas, as we work on ourselves, becoming better, whatever that means to you, but being the best version of you that you can be, you then open doors for others to do the same and, and that effect magnifies. Um, it's like when when they tried to levitate the Pentagon and when you put guns and uh, flowers and guns, it's, it's um, the act of not participating, uh, the act of uh, being love uh, that can create change. But as long as we think that we have the right answers and if we can, if we can merely design a society with the correct rules to get everyone to follow, then we can be in harmony. That is wrong to me um, because harmony is not about following rules. It's about finding what is truth for yourself. Uh, and that truth is a harmony ever existing, but it will only be brought about by us finding that within ourselves. I know this is uh, sometimes I'd like listen to myself talk and I'm like, whoa, man. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. I feel like I'm just on an acid trip right now. Where were we anyways? No, I'm just kidding, man. No, it's great. But um, what are you – like how should society be designed? You know, like I'm very anti-corporation. That's, that's not up to me, man. Exactly. Like, I agree with you. I, I agree with I, you. It's how should I live my life uh, and and that's taking care of my health my body that is the temple, that is the only place I have to live that uh, comes from having a proper diet and putting energy into it. It comes from spending time with my daughter and being intentional in the things I do and being conscious of them and the way I treat people. Uh, it's, it's, it's figuring out whatever it is that you're avoiding uh, and and dealing with it Jung said where fear is there is your task uh like what are you scared of why are you scared of that and then also the path kind of unfolds and that you come to forks in the road of your life and you know there there's no right or wrong choice there's just choices that are made and effects as a result of them and you you have opportunities uh, every single day and then bigger ones throughout your life and sometimes you don't even realize what the big decision was until the future 
or how it added to all the things that got you to here and now because it can only make sense to you it's your personal puzzle but it, it like every piece stacks on it and i'm sure like for you mc there were a bunch of decisions that now if you look back led you uh decisions experiences that led you to starting this podcast and wanting to share your voice in this way but at the time that you were going through them you probably couldn't see the version of you that you are now and likewise you won't uh you'll feel the same about the you 10 years from now um which will always be now so i want to go back to this a little bit again a lot to unpack there you bring up so many topics that interest me that i want to get to that we're just not going to have enough time but it sounded like you were skeptical of democracy and skeptical of the people uh, as a whole, you know, and their uh, knowledge of making the right choice, whatever that might mean. Uh, is that accurate? You're skeptical of people and uh, common uh, sense and I'm the skeptical of people asserting authority over others. Do you think so? What would be. The ideal society, I know we've talked about this in the past, uh, love, you know, around love, but how might government, society, communities, we need work, you know, there's always going to be work to be done. I don't think we need corporations. What I think uh, we should have are democratically organized uh, institutions, worker owned, worker controlled. Um, I think this was a 19th century kind of slogan, but those who work in the mills ought to own them. I completely agree with that. Um, so how, how should society be structured? Uh, should we get rid of corporations? How should work be structured? Uh, should it be structured around um, community? Should it be structured around government? Do we need government? What do you think about all these ideas for I mean, I, I know that you don't have all the answers. Nobody does, you know, and that's why I like democracy because in the end, the majority rules, the majority wins. So uh, we're going to have to, we're going to have to, there's billions of us, what, 8 billion, 7, 8 billion of us more every day. We're going to have to find some way to live, um, live together. We can't all do whatever we want, you know, and the earth is finite and its resources are finite. We're definitely finding that out. So do you have any ideas about how you think, the world could be a better place. I'm all about revolution. I think a lot needs to change. What are what are some things, uh, if we ever have that revolution, that you'd like to see happen? Well, I'd like to see an inward revolution in every individual, but the democracy that currently exists has given us this current reality that you're seeing here. Um, so it's interesting, your desire for government, which is ultimately a desire for control the desire to impose some form of rules because you you think people can't be personally accountable and responsible and self-organize without uh creation of the state um that that like true anarchy can't work um i think it can i think it can well but then well I think true anarchy can work. To me, true anarchy – so first off, my political philosophy is socialist anarchist. I don't like these words. They're silly. You know, you don't like them either. But They're I think, all labels. Exactly. I think all – and I've read this before. All, um, all anarchists are socialists. 
but not all socialists are anarchists. I'm a socialist anarchist. I think I want a society with very minimal government. I don't think we need nation states, you know, but I think we need, need some form of organization, whether that's the state or whether it's organized around the workplace, the community. We need some method, you know, we well, need there, some there, set of fetters. There will you know, always to bring... be a society. There doesn't need to be the state. Not um, after nuclear war. <laughs> there might not be any society after nuclear war. So I think that part part of what we have to do is to change the trajectory of society. Again as it chooses to. But my thought would be de- democratic, democratic organization. Uh, does that does that scare you? You don't like democracy? Is that is that accurate? Uh, what about democracy and the people scare you? You think they're going to make the wrong choice? Scared? Um, no, you just you keep talking about uh, sacrificing my authority outside of myself because that's what you're that's what you're talking about. You're talking about um, allowing the decision of the masses around you, however big that bubble is, to uh, dictate your life and the rules that you follow. And I say that, uh, you know, do unto others as you would have done to yourself. Love love thy neighbor as thyself, because thy neighbor is thyself. Uh, it's, it's like, um, I don't think that it is necessary to, I, in fact, now that I think about what I'm saying, alchemically, if you're sacrificing your authority to everybody else, because you would say you're not because you're participating in democracy, but then you're going to agree with the will of the people, even if you disagree. But so long as whatever your decisions are, aren't causing harm to another, then you should be free to make those decisions. Uh, and so if democracy says I, I can't exercise uh, my freedom in whatever way I want to, so long as that freedom doesn't infringe on the rights of another, then I disregard the authority of the democracy that you're talking about either you are the authority or the state is the authority over you um and i i believe the authority always lies in the individual you are coming onto my program and spinning it in my tactics and playing playing my anarchist card against me so i'm usually the anti-government you know kind of guy anti-authoritarianism and all that stuff but um, you came here and challenged me on it. So, I mean, usually uh, I would totally agree. I, I think that I think we need to curb these governments. We need to limit their power. We need to li- limit their curse of power, their ability to cause violence and, you know, go to war with other countries. I, I think they need to have their abilities to um, rob and exploit the rest of the world, especially the superpowers like the United States. You um, speak of them as if they're not populated by individual humans. That's right. I mean, we. So first off, I will say that the United States is not a functioning democracy. Um, I think these. I think these terms are relative. Like you can compare the United States to um, the Soviet Union. I think we're a lot more freer. You know, which which collapsed. I don't see the Soviet Union as being socialist or communist. It was a dungeon. Um, but, you know, compared to maybe Norway, the United States uh, has a, a lot to learn, you know, in terms of the welfare state and 
um, the paid time off and the sick leave and the parental leave, um, just the welfare state, that the public transportation. Um, but I think all of these things, you know, we have in place, the technology, and there's billions of us. So um, I don't think that we're ever going to be able to live in a world where there's no government. I think we're going to need some government, especially in modern society and all of the changes that have taken place since the basically the industrial revolution and you know the past few hundred years so we're never going to be able to get rid of them completely but i think what we should try to do is just limit their power and limit their ability to cause violence and i think i hope in the long run we can have some sort of democratically organized society where we can get rid of borders where we can get rid of these nation states but and i'm a big proponent of individual rights but there's 7 billion of us. The planet's resources are finite. Um, we have to find a way to live together, you know, in, in harmony, as you like to say. Um, I, I, what, if you, what if you do something, you personally, you know, if I'm your neighbor or something like that, that interferes with the way that I want to live my life? Or, you know, for example, if you buy a car, you know, you're polluting the environment. I don't want you to pollute the environment. That's, but that's what economists would say is an externality. So we're going to have, have to have some sort of organized uh, society where people can work together and communicate and have some kind of rules, don't you think? I understand why you believe so. Why do you, what do you, what do you think? Do you think it's possible to have a society without any government whatsoever? And what, what fetters well, would bring only the when we as individuals take responsibility for our own lives? And what, what if what if I interfere with the way you want to live your life? Then that's what you want done unto you. <laughs> I, I dig it. I mean, I dig it. I just think I think we uh, we think a little bit differently about how society will be structured. I do like to think about it, but my thought is uh, it's your desire for structure that I sure. disagree with. Sure. I, li I like structure. I definitely like, I like structure for sure. Organization. Like I'm, why do you like structure? What do you think deeper about you like structure? So I think there's the postmodernist philosophical school where, you know, um, there's just no structure. Everything is fair game, but, uh, to just break down the walls and barriers. But I think that there's a rich tradition, um, of you know science and western philosophy um we've kept, come up with disciplines and professions like um education or you know politics for example or science i don't want to completely get rid of these studies um so i think like for example biology i like that structure that's a, a very helpful way for me to understand the world I don't want to completely just throw out the field of the the field of biology. I also I have some trust. Neither do I, but that's just a framework for learning. That's not the structural uh, the, the rules that you're seeking. Uh, to me, it's a it's a deeper uh, desire for control of others is a lack of control of the self. Because if you uh, lived in a state of discipline, uh, you would be relieved of the need or thought that you can uh, control anyone else. And you, you, you don't control even what happens to you, but you control your response, your behavior, the way you interact in the world, like, and you can 
consciously change that. But um, so the desire for structure to me is a desire for control normally uh, that if we dig deep enough in some way, we feel like we uh, don't have over ourselves is my uh, sorry. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't think I have, I'm sure in, in, in some aspect, but like, I don't think I have that desire necessarily to control others or to get people to conform with the way I want to live or the way that I think government should be. However, I do think that democracy is the best system that I can think of that I know of. So I want some sort of democratic system where people can agree to come together and make rules for society, not for others to follow. I think that's one thing with power, like typically power, like in America, there's two courts of law or whatever, you know, there's two law uh, systems of law, you know, there's, there's uh, the criminal justice system for the rich and powerful and the, and the one for everyone else. So I think I've made this analogy before, like Trump was, uh, Caught with uh, whatever the nuclear launch codes and all that sort of stuff, uh, you know, and uh, are they going through a, uh, a trial or what's going to happen? Is he going to go to jail? And all I know is if I had nuclear launch codes in my bathroom and the Secret Service or whoever found them, I would probably never see the light of day. I mean, that would be it. So there's obviously, you know, different uh, different systems and different power systems in place uh for people of wealth and power and privilege in society so uh but that's the way i see it what i would like is a democratically organized society where everyone is equal i think a classless society is possible and i'm not necessarily looking to impose my beliefs or authority on others but i want the ability for others to impose you know their authority on me limited and i think the only way to do that is through democracy and coming together and majority rules and are the people going to be wrong sometimes yeah i'm definitely definitely sure of that but have the, the elitist governments governments run by elite you know the governments run by ol oligarchs and moneyed corporations and all that sort of stuff are they wrong absolutely look at the state of affairs we're in i mean go these governments around the world are led by psychopaths i mean it's amazing that we've lived through the nuclear age and we haven't blown each other up i mean every day i see on twitter and on the news you know nuclear posturing between china russia and the united states all threatening to use nukes we have enough nukes to blow over the world a hundred times over you know so in some some way we're gonna have to disassemble um what we have have now and i don't think we necessarily have to throw out everything so as it relates to corporations i completely think that they're unjust they're hierarchies of domination and control over others where you got the corporate executive and the and the ownership class that sit on top and basically give orders to everyone underneath them and if you are lucky enough you can rent yourself to a corporation for the subsistence to get by that's what's called wage slavery um, and that's supposedly what the Republican Party during the Civil War was trying to fight against. Um, but anyways, I think we don't necessarily need to get rid of um, the corporations completely. For example, there's lots of technology that's going to be useful to people, public transportation, green energy, you know, environmentally um, conscious products, that sort of stuff. Uh, the, the, the technology we're using right now, these, you know, these computer companies, I think in general, technology is neutral. It's just who has the power and how is it used onto others? And, and it certainly can be used um, as a negative. You know, I don't really think that the atomic bomb or nuclear weapons is neutral. I think that there can only be used for, for 
evil. Um, but as it relates to corporations, I wouldn't necessarily say we need to throw out everything, uh, the machines, the ideas. Um, but I think what we need to do is take them over. Workers should own these industries. Um, I like the co-op idea where the CEOs make no more than you know five or ten times the, the minimum or the lowest salary, um, not hundreds of times or even thousands of times like the modern corporation. I don't think that there should be some people above others. Uh, and in terms of like the structure of them, you got a corporate executive on top, you got a janitor on the bottom, you know, something like that. What if we all cleaned up uh, after ourselves? And what if we were all involved in planning, you know, what that organization did, whether it's make peanut butter or, you know, computers or whatever. So I don't necessarily think we have to completely throw out the corporation, but the, the way that I would say is have a democratically organized um, co-op, for example, that workers own and control. Um, and I think that um, I think the people uh, are a lot better at organizing themselves than, um, you know, maybe some sort of power domination or corporation, some sort of hierarchy that places others uh uh, above the majority, you know, the, the I think we're we're essentially a country that's run by an elite, you know, one percent or a fraction of one percent that has all the money and the influence and owns all the corporations. So that's what I think we need to try to break down. We don't necessarily have to completely throw out the governments in place or the corporations in place, but just completely reorganize them around community and democracy. And have them locally, you know, owned, maybe even managed by the community that they're in, you know, because these workplaces are big um, hubs for local communities, uh, you know, like remember, like the factories in the in the 70s and 80s, you know, they, they and the entire town consented to would need to be as decentralized as possible. The further power moves away from the individual, the more likely it's to be corrupted. I agree with you. I'm all about decentralization. And that's what I was trying to say before. I'm an anarchist. I mean, I think that there are two wings of libertarianism. The idea. So libertarianism in America is some like hyper capitalist form where there's no state, but these corporations just rob and exploit workers. That's not what I mean by libertarianism or anarchism. I mean, like, basically, there's a socialist wing of anarchism that wants decentralized and as minimal place uh, forms of authority and government or whatever is possible, the least amount. So like small federal federation states or whatever, like, I really like the, um, the history right, of the, Spanish but the Civil power War. structures, the power structures that currently exist, are never going to give up their own power. That's right. Um, That's so right. You can't, you can't vote this into existence. Yeah, I agree with you. So we can't we can ask the king to be more benevolent, right? That's kind of like what we say, hey, corporations don't pollute as much or don't be as greedy. Or we can just overthrow them, you know, and, and build some sort of new structure or at least um, reform the old one, you know. But I guess the second wing, though, of socialist socialism uh, would be the, the 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 wing that is pro-state, and that's kind of what the Bolsheviks and the communists, um, you know, that's where it kind of that's its inception. So, um, yeah, basically, I I oppose centralized control control and authority. I want as much of it de uh, decentralized as possible, and that's I guess one reason maybe why I brought up the Spanish Revolution. That's the only time in history. That was the anarchist revolution. It was an interesting period of uh, 
of um, history right before this uh, World War II. But that's the only time when Nazis, the Western democracies like the United States and the communists all came together to overthrow and put down that decentralized anarchist revolution. And that's exactly right. The people in power are never going to just uh, walk away or, um, you know, uh, you know, and their control over others, we have to take it, you know, and I think to, to ensure that we get that type of society or that revolution that we want, the first step would be to organize with others and to educate. Uh, Socrates said the secret of change is to focus all of your energy, not on fighting the old, but on building the new. So I think as you go forward, just channel that. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't think these old structures are going to go anywhere, you know, without popular pressures and organizations. But, um, I think we have to first organize with others. And then I think talking about ideas and how, and better ways to organize ourselves for the future, uh, is the only way to make that possible. I think the first step is to educate and organize with others that you have, um, you know, things in common with and think similarly with, and, uh, and as you grow that organization, all of a sudden you have power. Uh, David Hume once said that uh, the power is in the governed, which means – and he was kind of saying that um, you know, we have this minority, you know, the people in power, and the only thing that uh, they control others with is – the power of opinion, you know, they control the opinions of others and they do that through fear, lies, misinformation, propaganda. And you were saying before, if people, you know, the truth, you know, what is the truth? If we can get the truth out there, I think it's clear and obvious what the, what the, you know, the establishment is trying to do. And that's essentially to rob, exploit and enrich themselves at the expense of everybody else. I hope you keep sharing that message with your podcast. How how do you think fear is weaponized? You, you talked a little bit about fear. How do you think fear is weaponized to control others, um, you know, in history and just in general? Go read Machiavelli. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's easy because you're in low states of vibration. You're not conscious of... <sighs> how you could feel and how you can be manipulated. Um, it's, it's like what you see in fear is non real, but you make it real. You make it your reality and subtle messaging, uh, repeated over and over again, uh, can be believed. And then the mind is so powerful. Uh, it's like amazing the placebo effect, why drugs are supposed to be measured against a placebo trial. Cause just the idea of thinking you're doing something that can create a positive change can actually create a positive change. We create a reality and thusly fear also begets fear. And so as you intake these uh, subtle messages and allow these, uh, allow yourself to attach to these thoughts um, and fear it's, it's fear of some future outcome. Uh, it's it's a created fear of the, it's a created idea of the mind. It doesn't actually exist, but as we attach to thoughts, uh, 
they can spiral, they can continue spiraling until until you become that thought, until you unlearn it, but it it's a process. So it's just, it's, um, you're not operating from, uh, from your heart when you're in fear. How do you think, you know, the corporate state nexus, how do you think they use fear and misinformation and lies to manufacture consent and, and uh, control opinions and get others to behave or submit or be subservient to a certain agenda. Well, ultimately they don't make you do anything. They suggest it and you allow yourself to, you can't be made to do anything. Um, you, ultimately choose every decision, whether conscious or unconscious. And so you need to make the unconscious conscious, um, self-inquiry. Why do you think propaganda is so effective? Why do you think media is so effective? Because most most people have no idea who they are. They don't do the work. Um, And so then it's, it depends where you're living from. Um, and it's kind of like once you it's like for you mc you see all this messaging coming out and it's like oh that's garbage propaganda that they're filling my brain with to enrich the military industrial (laughs) complex and big pharma and continue pushing us into the corners being controlled thinking we're separated from our neighbors when in fact there's 370 million of us and like 435 of them in congress and a dude who falls down because he's we have the power has dementia we have the power i we we have it but we why haven't um, we accessed it why haven't we taken it why haven't why isn't because you need because it will never be done from outside of you because people always want there to be an external savior but you are the savior you are the hero that you've been waiting for and you need to take control of your own life and as we do that all of us do that we awaken each other and then that that which we're speaking of can manifest into existence if that's where this goes. Um, and, and then ultimately you can't be, I have circle back to, I have no expectations. Uh, cause wherever this goes, I'm okay. I'm not the, not the waves, I'm the ocean. So like whatever happens, what, you know, the, the ups and the downs as, as we see them, that is, uh, duality exists in the distinctions we create um but it's non-real so uh you know seek to live with equanimity uh and it doesn't really matter uh you don't need to take on the emotion and energy of of um that which uh intoxicates the people that's why i like democracy heroes and coming so i think if there's ever going to be something that comes along and saves humanity a revolution i think it's going to be a populist revolution a democratic revolution um but i think there's a lot of uh you know idol worship and looking for politicians and demagogues and heroes to save us i think that's a a bad belief system don't you of course, because it's this external authority. You're already giving up your power by uh, assuming somebody else is going to do it for you. And then we will continue this this 
endless cycle, this endless dance. Um, Hendrix said, uh, when the power of love is greater than the love of power, uh, then we will know peace. <laughs> awesome quotes, man. Uh, some pretty cool stuff. I love Jimmy. Jimmy's a, a legend, hell of a guitar player. He's got some awesome music. He was taken from us too early. Uh, I think money, violence, fear, I'm just writing some stuff down here, and religion are all weaponized to control others, used as authority, you know, whether it's slavery or debt with money. Violence, well, that one's simple. I have a gun and I'm going to take whatever I want from you, you know, whether that's this country or whether that's money or whatever, you know, you use the threat of violence. Fear, uh, I think that that one is what the media uses to shape opinions and definitely to get us to go into wars thousands of miles away and try to, for some reason, make us fearful of some country that they're going to invade us that we most Americans couldn't even pick out on a map that's absolutely no threat to um, you know any American citizen but for some reason you know we can we can whip these people into a jing, jingoist hysteria and all of a sudden you know we're looking for you know what's the next place to bomb whether that's Afghanistan Iraq uh, Syria Iran uh, North Korea, wherever, whatever is our enemy, you know, we, we just kind of weaponize this fear to, uh, justify, uh, an imperial agenda. But the last one's a religion. What about religion? I think that was the, maybe one of the first power systems that was weaponized to control others. What do you think about, uh, religion and its authority over others to manipulate and control? I think any ideology can be used to control people, and that is because we allow ourselves to be weak. And if you discovered your own power by aligning your life with what you believe to be the best uh, manifestation of the individual that you are, uh, you can recognize that power in yourself. What about hero worship and raising another human being to divine status? Uh, I'm not sure some of the historical figures like Jesus and that sort of thing, if they were a real person or a myth or what they were. But what about just in general hero worship, raising another human being to divine status? And um, It's yeah. all idolatry. Let's get a little bit uh, – I want to talk a little bit about the universe and our place in it and because uh, we talked a lot about politics and society. What's our place in the universe, human beings? We're, we're on this little blue dot, as uh, Carl Sagan once said. Uh, what's, what's home? What's earth? Where, what's our place in the universe and maybe what's the future of humanity? Where, where are we going? Our place is here and the time is now. <laughs> what better place than here? What better time than now? That's a Rage Against the Machine song, my favorite band. Um, are we alone in the universe? Is there intelligent life out there that exists that's not human beings? Do you feel alone? I haven't thought of it. I've definitely thought about whether aliens exist. <laughs> 
I think that uh, reminds me of a Blink-182 song. I know Tom DeLonge is doing some sort of documentaries on aliens. I, I don't know if aliens exist. I don't know if we're alone. I don't know what God is, if it even if it even exists, what would God even be? You know, so I know that I'm here right now on necessary illusions, trying to see through those illusions and find truth. But outside of that, I, I, I really don't know. I'll have to use one of your quotes. I know nothing. I really don't. Did you feel strongly uh, that we are alone or not alone? What do you think about that? All right. Also, that's not my quote. It's Socrates. Uh, I know that I know nothing. Okay. But, um, I think there are infinite possibilities in this universe and that I am not, uh, that I will know what I come to know and it doesn't matter what I don't. What's the, what's the future for humanity? And what about this existential crisis? We have nuclear war, a climate crisis. Last time we talked, brother, the future is a creation of your mind. What is time? Is it finite? Is it infinite? Infinite? Is it relative? Does it ex- even exist? No, time doesn't exist. So the universe wasn't created, what, 13.7 billion years ago or whatever they tell us? Well, it was, but at the time it was now, and now is now, and it's eternally now, and you always exist now. Do you believe that the inf- inf- uh, universe is infinite, eternal, it's always been here, and it will always exist? Was there ever a time before the universe? And what would that even mean? To define it with the word it, I would say that this is um, something that can only be known through experience. And then otherwise, it's just uh, um, poorly communicated. What's the meaning of life? Why do you need meaning? I think meaning is important. I think I, I think I get meaning from everything. I get it everywhere. I'm what is meaning? Meaning is something that I find to be important, something that has some sort of value to me. And if it doesn't have value to you, it's not important. Might be for someone else. Doesn't necessarily mean that everything I find is important. And everything that I think is important is maybe important for other people. Like, for example, I've thought about this a little bit, the meaning of life. I think that we should look and try for self-development. I like this introspective, you know, uh, path. It seems like you've taken, I think that's a cool way to live your life. I don't do that as much, but I think that's a cool way to live. You know, I'm always on the quest for knowledge. I think that's important trying to understand reality. And I think ultimately enjoying yourself. It's such a small amount of time that we're here, um, spending time with family and loved ones. So that's, I mean, I can't, I don't really go too deep on that one, but to you, do you do you have any meaning of life? Do you have a way that you think you want to live your life? Is there anything you want to accomplish in this finite amount of time while you're here? I am love, and I will live myself as such. Do you think? Yeah. <laughs> do you think there is a? What's the future for humanity? How much longer do we have left with these existential crises that we're facing? Are we going to? ever resolve this ex- extinction uh, rebellion that's happening right now, like that movement going on? Are we ever going to uh, find a way to combat this climate crisis we're facing? Or do you think nuclear war or climate 
change is going to wipe us out here in the very near future. Maybe who knows a few more generations. I, I can't really speculate. I hope that everyone recognizes their creative power and their sovereignty and asserts it uh, and reclaims uh, and protects nature as we recognize such. Um, the but, commons, the commons, we must protect it. It belongs to all of us. Well, everything belongs to all of us and none of us. Um, it, because uh, we also then assume we don't share the planet with all these other living beings. Uh, and that, you know. I like this quote, Bertrand Russell, famous philosopher, maybe the greatest in the, of the, uh, 20th century shall we put an end to the human race or shall mankind renounce war what do you think of that that's true um but it uh only comes when we stop giving our consent which always comes back to the individual so i i it's all it's all connected you can't you can't get past uh the fact that we all participate and that every everything that happens is a result of everything else and that you can't pull one thread of the universe without unraveling the rest of it and so um as as little as uh whatever you're doing in your life that day seems to be to you even the way you're interacting with somebody in a line you're standing in or a smile that you give, like all of that affects the whole, but we don't, we, we can't see that. And so we disregard it, but it really does uh, because of the unit unity of all things and at quantum physics would uh, back up what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I, uh, I love quantum physics. I find it fascinating. I, I read a book, I forget uh, the title of it now, but uh yeah, it was a little bit of East-West. It was uh, written by a uh, a um, uh, astrophysicist or you know universe guy, educated in the Western schools and Western schools of thought. And he eventually uh, you know studied quantum physics for a while, and then he kind of fell into um, Eastern philosophy. <laughs> you know, and it's all the same. But the quantum yeah. physics allows people who say they believe in science and disregard a higher power to say that they're following science, but it's all the same. Uh, the language of quantum physics is the language of spirituality. It's the same. This was exactly his conclusion. Yeah, that's that's exactly what his conclusion was. Interesting. He, everything was one. You know, he tried to... Everything you know. is one. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't disagree with you there. Mind, body. It seems to me like mind, body are distinctly different, but I can't tell you how or why or whatever. And that goes back to the Pino podcast, but we got a couple minutes here. The last question I had for you, and we, we kind of hit on it a little bit. Uh, what is, what is God? Do you believe in God? What is God? And what do you think God <laughs> what, what looked like? What do you think created the universe? Was it even created? What do you, what do you, what, what do you make of all that? Is that incoherent? What do you think of those ideas? God, the universe, creation, existence. I think that's for you to find out for yourself. <laughs> All right, man. I love it. Uh, I, this is a good time to end here. I really appreciate your time. Josh, 
with the Pino Podcast. Um, thanks, man. I appreciate your time. Have a great night. I appreciate you, bro. Thanks, man. See ya. And that's going to conclude this episode of Necessary Illusions. I really appreciate Josh for coming on the podcast tonight. I really hope you check out his show, The Pino Podcast. It's really awesome. He's doing great things there. It's streamed anywhere podcasts can be streamed. Thanks for listening. This is Necessary Illusions, and I am your host, MC Squared. <laughs>